Hey everyone, and welcome to the South Carolina Grower Exchange Podcast. Every week, agents, specialists, and growers from around the state chat about what's happening in the field and discuss the latest crop weather, insect, disease, and weed issues, as well as timely reminders and information related to fruit and vegetable production in South Carolina. Remember, you can read weekly field updates and register for upcoming events by visiting the SC Grower blog at sccrower.com. Okay, uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Um, I'd like to welcome everybody to our talk this month. This uh, this, this is part of the um, Cultivate South Carolina Grower um, series. And then what, what this is, is that we're trying to talk, uh, you know, have a, a timely topic about every every month and um you know we're really where we talk to uh, uh, agents we're talking specialists and really trying to get some uh you know a little detailed information about some things that, that uh, growers may see out in the field uh and, and some management um practices that that they may be able to they implement and um yeah sometimes it's, it's we do get into the uh, as far as uh like a um kind of a crop update and this particular one is uh, the one today is actually it's going to be we're going to be talking is I'm going to give a little bit of a crop update on the muscadine um, crop, uh, the 2021 muscadine crop um, this year. And also the uh, we're going to talk about uh, some some insect pests as well. And uh, so hopefully everyone will uh, be able to gain a lot of a lot of knowledge out of it. So let me go ahead and share my presentation. Well, I haven't introduced myself yet. Uh, I'm Bruce McLean. I'm the uh, area commercial horticulture agent for uh, for Marion, Ori, Dillon, and Marlboro County. So, um, and I work a lot with small fruits uh, on the commercial side. A lot work work a lot with uh, with blueberries, blackberries, strawberries, uh, muscadines, and and so. Um, been here with uh, with Clemson Extension a little over two years now. Uh, before that, I uh, used to work up at uh, at North Carolina Extension. So you know, had an opportunity to uh, you know to to work with small fruits quite a bit for uh, for the last eight years. So, but as far as uh, you know, talking about the muscadine crop. Um, okay. Uh, this year, um, this is one of those years that you know. Honestly, it's um, it's it's not a great year. It's uh, you know, for some, it's it's going to be a good year. It's not a great year, but uh, for some, it's going to be it's going to be a little bit rough. Um, yeah, I think most everybody across the state is uh, a bit short, and that's on uh, you know, um, wine grapes uh, and fresh market uh, grapes. It's uh. You know, and we think that there's a few different factors that, that had contributed to one in particular that probably the largest factor. But, uh, you know, I was speaking to, uh, you know, one of the, the, um, the TND Scott uh, a, little, a little while ago, and he had mentioned that, you know, he, he um, you know, got a lot of rain back down in the Midlands, um, you know, right during, during bloom. And that would definitely contribute to, um, you know, some poor pollination, uh, you know, cloudy days, rainy, 
um, is just not really conducive for, you know, for, for good pollination. And so that definitely uh, would, would cause a problem. And I know that certain parts of the state did get some, some of that heavier rain right during that, that time period. Uh, up around the PD area, uh, in the upper portion of the PD area, we missed a lot of those rains or they just really weren't that intense. They were, you know, lighter rains. Um, we we're a little drier, you know, during that time period. So, um, and we actually got, you know, what should have been really good um, pollination. But some of the things that, that we were seeing was actually things that, um, that really were, were showing itself, before, you know, even before, um, even before flower. So, um, yeah, there's, um, I'm going to say, and, and a lot of what I work with is wine grapes, you know, Carlos, Doreen, and, uh, and Noble primarily. But, uh, but I do work with a little bit with, uh, with Fresh Market as well. But, you know, the, 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 where I've seen the most damage um, or the most difference, I'll, I'll just say it like that, is on the, the wine grapes. Um, have seen some, some, you know, good looking crops, you know, maybe a seven and a half, eight ton, or what looks to be shaping up that way, um, you know, on Carlos and Noble. Um, but then I've also seen, you know, vineyards that, you know, it may be a two ton crop on, uh, on Noble. So, you know, that's, um, you know, that, that is, that's going to be, you know, a, a bit of a, of a hard year for, 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 you know, those, those growers that haven't, you know, that are having that, that big of a, of an issue, um, because then you have to really make some, some economic decisions on, you know, how to manage your crop, but, you know, we'll, we'll, um, we won't talk about that right now. So, but I guess the main thing is, is why did this occur? Now, I just alluded to, you know, as far as poor pollination because of rain and, um, you know, cloudy weather, you know, definitely is not good for, it. but there's other, one other thing that, that we were seeing, especially in the PD, that, um, yeah, that I think, and it was, it was weather issues that, uh, that really caused uh, problems even prior to, to bloom. Uh, you know, if, uh, and, and I'm going to flip through this, through the next four slides fairly quickly, and then I'll come back and kind of talk about it a little bit. But, you know, if you look, here's some weather data for Florence, for Columbia, for North Charleston, for Anderson, and for Greenville Spartanburg. And that was, these, these were numbers that were, you know, readily, easily uh, accessible through na uh, uh, National, weather, um, National Weather Service. And these were all recorded temperatures at, typically at, um, at, at airports. So, you know, if you if you really think about it in the field application or in, in a field field site field uh, environment, um, a lot of times you know the 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 temperatures can be you know slightly slightly um, higher, slightly lower than you know what um, what was recorded at uh, at airport. And so, but uh, the the whole thing I'm not really wanting to try to try to really hit on. It's like you know, they, we got 33 degrees, we got 31 degrees or anything like that. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm wanting to just suggest that we were very, very close to some, some cold weather that could cause some, some significant damage. So we're going to start as, uh, you know, really just look at um, Florence right off, 
you know, to start with. Uh, and there's two primary uh, instances right around uh, or in Florence during April that we're really looking at. And that was the first portion of April and then the latter portion of April. Now, a lot of times the first portion of April, you know, you're just starting to get some, some bud break, you know, a little bit of, little, just a little bit of emergency. And the, um, you know, just emergence of green growth, but, you know, sometimes you, you may have even get a, a situation where you, you just get some bud stretching you know, right at the right temperatures that, uh, you know, even though you may not have green growth sticking out there that, that just because, you know, that you've got open scales and, 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 and swollen buds that certain temperatures can really cause um, issues with that. So, but the thing of it is, is that uh, just like here at Florence, uh, on the second and third, we had a, a couple of uh, really cold nights. It was uh, 33 on the, uh, on the or recorded 33 uh, degrees um, on the second and 31 degrees on the third. Now, but you know, both of those really don't get too caught up about whether it's, you know, just above freezing, just below freezing. Just realize that it is right there at the threshold of causing some serious damage. Um, you know, and the thing of it is, is that, um, you know, if your site was a little colder than that, then in, in, you know, you could see, have seen really significant damage. But the oddity is, is that, you know, even if you look over but at the third week, you know, right there, uh, let's see, it was uh, 22nd and 23rd, uh, you know, there was a couple of uh, 34 degree nights, you know, that was recorded. Um, still, you know, if, if you know, 30, 34 with a light wind, you might have had a little bit of a frost uh, develop. Typically, you're not going to get a lot of tissue damage. But like I said, uh, you know, if, if your side was a little cooler, 32 wouldn't have really uh, caused some significant damage. So, you know, we can see similar things with uh, around Columbia. Uh, North Charleston really did, they did have a cool event right around, um, you know, around the 22nd, 23rd, where it was noticeably cooler. But, you know, their primary, um, cold event was in the first part of the of April. Yeah, you know, then you go up to the upstate up around Anderson. Yeah, you know, they, they had a, uh, you know, a, a bit of an extended period of cold, uh, just recurring cold nights right there around the first of April. And then they, I mean, they had a hard freeze or not a hard freeze, but a good freeze, um, you know, right there around the 22nd. And so, and then, you know, followed up by a night of frosty weather and Pretty much the same thing with Greenville Spartanburg. So, you know, see, you, you can see it was pretty much a statewide event, um, with the exception of, you know, down around Charleston, you know, they they really didn't, uh, you know, see any any temperatures that, that might be close uh, to, to damaging uh, in the latter part of April, but the rest of the state pretty much did. And, you know, that's that's really a, a bit of an anomaly uh, with us. I mean, we, we normally don't get those kind of cold uh, cold temperatures in the latter part of April. So, you know, I know uh, there was quite a bit of uh, tissue damage uh, around the PD. And, you know, and I can imagine even even up towards upstate, you know, there would have been some some green tissue sticking out, especially at the latter part of April. Now, I had heard that, uh, I know that there was a cool, cool event, cold event 
uh, over into in, into May, and maybe the the upstate may have uh, experienced you know just very isolated pockets. I know some of the growers that I know up in North Carolina, they uh, you know that that on that are um, on sort of colder sites. Uh, did have some very isolated damage as well, even into May. So, I mean, that's, that is an extreme rarity there. But just wanted to take just a minute just to show um, what, what I saw. Um, you know, and, and if you look at the picture on the left, you can see the brown tissue right there. And that is the primary development. That's the primary bud that broke and the, the primary growth that came out. And and really, it was uh, it was it was hit you know pretty hard. It was uh, uh, completely browned out. You know, dead tissue. All, it basically killed it all the way back to the bud. So having to have having that much damage, it caused that secondary bud to break. Now, and which is back over here. Uh, so you know, if looking at it, um, you know, just if if. Everything being equal, you know, you're talking about basically being set back probably, you know, three weeks in a lot of, a lot of places. And that's, that's actually what, you know, even now looking at the crop, I had compared some of the, um, some of the pictures, you know, I had just taken, you know, the last few days and compared them to the same time frame last year. And we actually, we were having, you know, we're just starting to get on the front side of a raisin, uh, you know, with some of the wine grapes. Um, you know, this time uh, last year, you know, getting into, you know, into the first of, uh, into the first of August, end of uh, July, first of August. And, uh, you know, we've actually had some, some good color out there. And it's, uh, you know, which last, last year, I would say that we were a little bit early too. But, uh, you know, I wouldn't be scared to say that, that we're probably still uh, two to three weeks behind, um, you know, where I think we should be. And, uh, and definitely two to three weeks behind last year. Um, so, you know, and, and I will say, say this, things that I've, when I've seen cold damage in the past, secondary growth, these secondary buds and secondary growth that comes out, or even, you know, it, even if they get damaged and it really goes back to, to really breaking some of those latent buds, some of those dormant buds that's, you know, that's, that's back in, in the, um, in the, you know, um, some of that woody tissue. Um, now, if you see those uh, tissue, uh, you know, those buds break all the way back into woody tissue, um, chances are there, that's gonna be just devastating. I mean, there's, there's um, almost no uh, crops gonna be, will, will come from that. It's, um, you know, even, even Carlos, I, you know, we've seen it before on Carlos, uh, where there was that much damage that far back in, and it never it it really just put out a little bit of a uh, little bit of fruit extremely late sort of those those late season I always call them marbles it's uh, you know they, they never make a, a marketable fruit it's, uh, it just doesn't have a long enough season for them but uh, but even with those um, with that secondary growth you know if 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 your if your whole crop was set back to that secondary growth or a good portion of it then. If nothing else, you're going to be two to three weeks late. Uh, but one thing that we have seen on the secondary buds or any growth from the secondary buds, it typically does not have as much of, um, of a fruit load. It, it really um, just doesn't, doesn't have a lot of the, the energy reserves and what have you for those, um, for the fruit development like, like you see it on the, on the primary buds. 
So we're thinking that that, um, especially around the PD, was a primary factor. Uh, now there, you know, like uh, like mentioned before, you know, um, rainy events, cloudy weather would definitely um, would definitely take a toll on that as well. Um, but I will say, <clears throat> from my experience as far as getting out in the vineyard and, and going around looking, and you know, and and we're we're going to get into this in just a little bit. But when I was checking for the um, the calypso release, the little shower cap that's over the the um, you know the the as far as the reproductive parts when it's when it's blooming, the uh, the calypso release was really good. So a lot of times when you have good calypso release. Then you, then you, especially on a perfect flowered um, fruit, you know, um, you know, it it really should you should get good pollination. So you know that might not be exactly the case on on Sunday. That may be female flower um, because then you still got to have your your pollen movement. So, um, but I will just say that. So um, that's pretty much going to wrap up the uh, crop report for right now. And we can get into some questions on that uh, towards the end of the end of the presentation. But now, um, yeah, and, and I tell you, before I even really get into talking about the insect pest, um, you know, just mention a, a quick mention of disease. Really, have not seen a lot of disease this, uh, this year so far. Um, luckily, it's uh, you know, some a little bit of black rod, but nothing nothing really bad. Uh, a little bit of ALS. Uh, you know, from some early season ALS, and you know that that's something that if it's not taken care of early on, it can it can really cause uh, you know some significant problems, and especially accumulating problems over years and years, um, because it uh, it can become much worse if it's if it's not attended to. Um, but typically, you know, even things like ALS, um, an early season of um, uh, application of rally. Uh, really seems to, to clean it up really well, but um, but you know black rot is just that that perennial problem that we always have, and you know just a a, a good fungicide program is going to keep it you know beat back. So you know it's just uh, never really um, you know gets into into causing any any significant problems. But um, but as far as on this screen right here, you'll um, from left to right, uh, that's three ups. Uh, Japanese beetle and uh, the grapefruit boar, and you know, and as far as which is the worst pest, you know, we're, we're definitely uh, going to touch on that, and maybe one that are you know some of the pests that, that we that we really can you know kind of overlook a little bit. So yeah, I, I kind of uh, named this this uh, this section the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, because you know there, um, I do a lot of work with uh, with insect assessment uh, all throughout the season. You know, I, I, I sweep a lot up under the canopy with sweep net, sweep the canopy itself. You know, um, basically, you know, um, catch what's you know what I can beat out of the canopy. Uh, just literally, just just you know, really look deep into the canopy just all throughout the season. So I do a lot of work and, and look at a lot of insects. Um, you know, it's all throughout the season. So, you know, there are, there's, there's your, your beneficials, you know, there, they can be, you know, um, plentiful, especially, you know, certain times of the year, they can be very plentiful. Um, 
there there's the sort of the the ones that I call kind of the transient ones that are kind of there today and possibly gone tomorrow. There's the other ones that, that just kind of set up residence. They just like the the habitat, the that um, you know the environment that the great uh, vineyard provides for them. But they really they're not a pest per se. They just they're just kind of there. And then you have your your pest. And you know some can be kind of perennial pests. Some can be kind of a come and go type of pests. But um, so uh, just mention briefly as far as some of the good guys, uh, you know, we've got like assassin bugs, um, you know, uh, green, uh, green lace wings, uh, ladybugs or Asian uh, lady beetles. It's um, all of these are, you know, for the most part are good guys. It's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're eating a lot of, uh, a lot of pests, you know, especially soft body pests that, that are in the, in the canopy of the, of the great, uh, great vineyard. But, um, so, you know, if really, if you can promote these as much as possible, hey, that's great. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the, the insecticides, you know, if you are, especially if you're conventional, um, a lot of the insecticides, um, you know, are, are, are a little bit hard on them. There, there's not a lot of, you know, um, really good soft uh, materials that's, um, um, that's really out there yeah, there is some, but but not they're not widely used in muscadines. So the next one, I, and 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 I skipped uh, the bad guys uh, intentionally. I just wanted to go ahead and leave those for last. But so the 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 next ones are the uglies, and so that's the uh, you know that's the Japanese beetles, the June bugs, the any any type of caterpillars that uh, that that may just feed upon the foliage. And for the most part, they really don't do a tremendous amount of problem, or, you know, amount of damage. They, they, you know, if you think about how much leaf canopy that a mature muscadine has, you know, honestly, if they, if, if they take off a third of it, they're really not um, causing any significant problems. And it's just, you want to think of the, those as on mature vines that, that, you know, that they're not really causing problems. Where they do cause a problem is on, especially on establishing vines, where you're really trying to establish them that first year or two. Uh, but even really right on up to about third year, if you know, because you want to to get good. Uh, you know, you, there's certain markers that you want to, to hit every single, you know, the, the first year, the second year, on into the third year. And if you have some heavy feeding by any of these, they they can they can really set you back. Um, you know, from achieving certain markers that you want, that you, that you really need to achieve. So, but now let's touch on the, the bad guys. And these are the ones that, that really cause um, problems. I mean, you know, they're, they're the ones that can be, uh, that can be detrimental to, as far as the health of the vineyard, the health of an of a, of a, of a individual vine. Uh, they can be, um, uh, cause yield limiting um, uh, situations. I mean, they they're they're the, they're the ones that that's costing you money uh, when it all comes. To, uh, um, you know, when you when you really getting down to brass tacks, these are the ones that cost you money. So upper left, uh, this is probably one that, that most people have, are not familiar with. This is the uh, this is the great rootworm adult. It is a uh, it is a beetle or kind of a, a kind of a snout beetle, 
uh, does have a, a bit of a of a longer uh, snout. It's uh, not not really uh, a weevil per se, but it, but more of a, like a snout beetle. Um, the um, let's see, I don't believe I, I put any pictures in here uh, looking at their damage or but um, but basically they they are a foliage feeder to some degree. Um, they they typically come out after bloom so you know they're not really feeding on blooms for the most part this is more of a um and i'll say cautiously a northern pest there's a lot more um instances where it's, it was recorded uh in in more northern locations when i say northern locations i would say you know really virginia northward northward and westward um but i will say this you know and, and you know the reason I point this out, the reason I included it in on this presentation when I worked in North Carolina, uh, with you know this vineyard was right across the right across the line, uh, the state line. It was uh, they actually had a major um, instance of uh, of this this um, this beetle, and you know it was um, they they came out if I remember correctly it was mid June and they um, they they're very short. They, they don't have a long flight. They, they're, they're very localized as far as with their flight. But they're, when, whenever they just, whenever they uh, emerge, I mean, they're just a, a, a live work, you know, just, just flying around the vines and, and what have you. And it was, um, you know, something I had never seen before. And actually this was, uh, uh, we, um, this was the first time it was actually ever recorded in, uh, in North Carolina. So, you know, it being that close, I'm going to go ahead and throw it into this presentation as well, um, because it can be an issue, and uh, you know, and especially if, you, if you're seeing something like that, um, the, a lot of activity, uh, what have you, um, they can actually come in, and um, you know, they, they produce a lot of eggs. Those, uh, those eggs do, you know, when they hatch out and they make larvae, uh, they do a, you know, can can really do some damage as far as uh, you know feeding on the roots and what have you, and 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 do some significant problems. Now, I will say that that is different than the one that's on the lower right, which looks kind of like the, like a wasp. Uh, that is the grapefruit borer, whereas the other one is the grapefruit worm, adult or beetle. Uh, now there is, you know, there's definitely a difference. Now both of them feed the larva feeds on the root system. With the grapefruit worm, they tend to feed more on the um, on the roots, and and they can uh, actually work their way into the uh, to the larger roots roots. But uh, but it's not so much as quite like the uh, the boar. Um, now the grapefruit boar can really do some significant damage, uh, and we'll see it in, in just a moment. You know where they can do just significant damage to to um, to the root. Uh, root system, especially large roots. Now, those are those two. Uh, lower left is, uh, is it, and it's a little hard to see. It's, uh, you'll see it's inside the red circle. It almost looks like a little yellow grain of rice. That is, uh, those are thrips. Uh, and, and this is something that we also, you know, when I worked up in North Carolina, that, you know, never, no one had ever even really thought about thrips ever causing a problem with, um, with grapes, you know, especially with muscadines, it was just not an issue. But uh, we, there was actually a situation where we had um, 
it was, a, a, it was a, let's see, if I remember correctly, it was four vineyards that all had the same problem that went from about seven and a half, eight, uh, seven and a half or greater uh, ton per acre um, yield. And they went from there all the way back down to like two. And, and, and they had, this was a recurring issue. I mean, this was like going into the third year of this. And so um, came in and, and really started looking around basically just to see what was, um, what was in the vineyard at this time. And honestly, the only thing that we really saw were threats. And you could see, you know, where they were, they were actually feeding on the, the base of the flower uh, or the base of the blooms. And they were causing the, the blooms to actually uh, become um, a, little, uh, um, a little weak. And so every time that you get a little wind movement or something like that, it, it would actually, they would just, you know, shed off, um, you know, these, these uh, pollinated fruit. And, uh, and, and blossoms too, but uh, you know, so so the, all of a sudden we realized it's like, hey, you know, there's a problem here. Now the the one is uh, is is just under uh, the 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 wording, um, you know, the bad. Uh, that is, um, there's actually uh, two different um, type. Well, I wouldn't say types. I think it's the same species. But it's uh, you know two different appearances, uh, and this is you know sort of the what we're thinking is the older adults is uh, d does have this this stripe pattern, whereas the the more juveniles have uh, you know more of this golden yellow uh, coloration. But they do they're they're only uh, maybe a millimeter in length, so they're they're really tiny, but they can really do some significant damage, uh, even at at really low numbers. Now the one is in the center um, at the bottom with all the, the little black aphids on it. Those are grapevine aphids. Now, um, you know, this is not something that we really have thought about up in the past. Uh, it it's, has been a northern insect, you know, for, for quite a while. And, you know, and when we know that it, it's been an insect, uh, you know, a pest, an insect pest, but it's, uh, yeah, a lot of times where we have seen it, it tends to be more out on the, the tender foliage, some of the, the younger shoots, and we never really think of it being a significant problem. Where it becomes a problem is, is if they come in early enough into the season to where they're actually feeding on blooms, or actually feeding on, they're feeding on just the, the base of the blooms, and it's right at the same time as the thrips activity, so that's, that's, that's you know, a, a Something that that can be controlled um, with one single product, you know, um, or one type of product, you know, the applications can take care of both of them. Now, another thing that uh, is um, stink bugs, stink bugs can cause some problems. And, you know, there, there's always been a question about, you know, when you, when you see fruit on the ground and you cut into it and, you know, you, you see the brown shriveled seed on the inside. And, uh, on, and this is immature fruit, so, you know, seed should not be brown by now. But uh, you do see some, um, some shriveled seed on the inside. Um, that is, it's always been kind of thought of in the past. It's like, well, that's that stink bug injury. Um, but, you know, that's that. Um, I will tell you, Wade, in just a moment, how to, to determine that that is stink bug injury instead of just, you know, sort of theorizing, well, maybe it is. I don't know. So, so those are a lot of the, the, the main pests that, that, that we're, um, that we have problems with.
So, uh, you know, just wanted to go ahead and, and point these out. And, um, you know, the, the grapefruit worm, we talked about that quite a bit. Um, it's uh, yeah, something that, that we definitely need to be aware of and something that, uh, you know, is very noticeable in the, in the, in the vineyard. Uh, it's just a matter of just getting in the vineyard and just going through it. If, if you see almost like a, like this sort of tannish gray cloud of insects and just a live work and they're, they're, they're flying around and landing on everything in sight. And it's not across the whole vineyard. It'll, it'll just be like in isolated pockets within the vineyard. If you're seeing that, you know, definitely inspect to take some samples, uh, you know, get it to, to one of the, the, um, the, the agents and, you know, with the extension and, uh, and, and we'll get an ID and just make sure that that is what it is. Uh, as far as the, the management of it, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, if you're, if you're organic, you know, um, you know, you, you've got, you're very limited. Uh, pyrethrin is about, about as the only thing that you really got. Um, but it's, uh, you know, if you're on the conventional side, then, uh, you know, most of your pyrethroids, um, will just work just fine. Um, yeah, Mustang Max works very, very well, Danatol, um, you know, most any of, most any of those. Uh, stink bugs are, are one that, that is also, um, you know, kind of like the, the root worm, the grapefruit worm, is that, you know, when they're there, they, you know, a lot, a lot of activity, and, you know, and you'll see them flying around, and, but it really takes just getting into the vineyard and walking around and just, just seeing, you know, seeing them and, uh, you know, moving around and flying around. The thing of it is, is that um, if they're around other crops, the, your stink bug activity tends to be greater. And uh, because, you know, a lot of times they're, they're going to be coming off of, uh, you know, uh, some of the other crops around. And so some years are a lot worse than others. Um, I will say that the, you know, this is a pest, unfortunately, that can occur pretty much all season long. The, where they do the, the most damage is right after bloom on the smaller fruit, um, you know, where they, they really puncture fruit. And, and I would say up to verace, and I, I, I wouldn't say anything after verace, and once the, the fruit starts coloring, uh, that they're doing any significant damage. But it's, it's definitely, it's from, you know, basically from bloom up to the fruit starts coloring up is, is their primary time that they, that they can really cause some damage, especially early on. Uh, so grapevine aphids, we, we talked about that a bit. Um, they can really be a limiting factor uh, where they feed on the on the, the base of the flowers. And so, you know, a little later on in the season, they're not as much of an issue, but it's just really right there around bloom is where, where you really need to monitor them. So uh, just looking at the possible stink bug damage, um, I'm sure probably a lot of y'all have uh, have done this before. You know, just pick up some fruit off the ground, cut through it, and you see these brown shriveled seed on the inside. And so, you know, it's always in the past, we've kind of thought about it. It's like, well, is it stink bug damage or is it something else? And then everybody just kind of says, well, no, we just really think it's stink bug damage. And, but now, you know, honestly, if you pick up these fruit and before you ever start cutting on them, just really, just just roll it around, look at it really good, and <clears throat> nine times out of ten, you will find a small puncture mark where it looks like something definitely has 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 almost like a needle has punctured that skin, and it's not it's not the just the the linosols that are you know just 
on the, the, the surface of that, the skin of that fruit. It's, this is actually, this is a puncture. Now, if you can find that and you can cut vertically from there or, you know, basically all the way through the, the center of the fruit and pull it apart, a lot of times you can actually look at that puncture, that, that tunnel that it's left, and you can see where it goes all the way down to the seed and, and the, the damage, the, the brown portions of the, of the seed, the one that's really affected, will be on that side. So, yes, it's almost sort of the, the smoking gun that um, the daddy is stink bug damage. Um, but it is, um, yeah, it is, they, they will um, reduce your yield. So, you know, definitely keep a, a good close eye on. And now the, the stink bug that you see over to the left, that is the brown marmorated stink bug. They are, um, you know, if it, they're not, I wouldn't say that they're, they're, they're um, necessarily found across the state, but this is it's an invasive pest, uh, introduced pest that, um, that, that, that is working its way uh, across the state. It has been found, uh, I think, a, couple, a few locations around the PD. Uh, I found it a few places um, I, up in the upstate. They, they found it uh, quite a bit up that way too. So um, I'm not really sure if down towards uh, low country, down around Charleston, if they maybe experienced some um, brown marmorated stink bugs yet. But, but uh, as far all stink bugs, including like leaf-footed bugs, the, the you know, various, the green stink bugs, all of them feed the same way and they do the same damage. But the reason I want to try to point out the, br the brown marmorated stink bug is because they tend to be very, they tend to be a little bit more aggressive. And so they, they can be a little bit more damaging, more so than some of the others. So, so it is uh, you know, definitely something that, that you need to, to monitor for. Now, I wanted to just uh, briefly touch on uh, working with a grower on putting cover crops. And this is a winter cover crop. Uh, this is actually, it's a spring. This is, um, I think, I believe it's um, second week of April, I believe. And so this is uh, this crimson clover, and it does have some turnip in it and um, something else. I'm not really sure what the other one is. But anyway, it's, it's primarily uh, crimson clover. Now, the whole purpose of the cover crop is, is that it increases your beneficials, especially on the front side of the season. Now, what the whole thought is, is that by increasing your beneficials on the front side of the season, that you're really going to be able to combat thrips, aphids, a lot of your early, early season pests by having this habitat for, you know, for a lot of beneficials. Uh, this is only the, the first year that we've really been looking at it and looking at the pests, uh, you know, the, the thrips load and the aphids load afterwards. But I will say, um, I, I don't want to put, you know, too much uh, emphasis on it, but it looked really promising this year. And I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. This is something that we're definitely be looking at from, from here on out. Um, but if, if, it's, if it's something that we can really manage thrips and the, uh, the grapevine aphids with in the first part of the season without or uh, with minimal pesticide um, applications, hey, that's, that's, that's always beneficial. So just wanted to cut touch on a couple of, uh, on the two worst, what I believe is the two worst pests that we have on muscadines, and that's uh, thrips, and then we'll be touching on the grapefruit uh, borer. And now, now as far as thrips, uh, where you're going to find them is, um, yeah, and, and where, 
thrips are always in nature. I mean, you know, especially if you're if you're around certain crops, they're going to have a little bit more of a thrips load than than others. Certain years have you know are just a little bit more beneficial for thrips activity. I know this year has been a really really high you know really heavy year, uh, like on beans and peanuts and a lot of different things, uh, cotton, uh, some of the vegetable crops. We've seen uh, just a tremendous amount of thrips activity, but Surprisingly, and it really hasn't translated into a really heavy year for thrips in, in grapes or in muscadines. And so, which is kind of an odd, you know, odd thing because, you know, once we, we had found them here a few years back, I mean, it's just, it's, we find them everywhere now, you know, now that we're testing for them. And so, but primarily what, you're, what you do is, let me see what the next slide is. Okay. Um, so if you, if you look at the, the, the center uh, block there, that's actually, that is graph paper, that's quarter inch graph paper. So if you look down at the, the very, sort of the center of it, uh, and, and that's basically that, that little grid that's behind it, that sort of light colored, uh, bluish color grid, that is actually, that is one quarter inch uh, squares. So in that little yellow smudge in the middle of it, it looks like a grain of rice, that is, um, an individual thrip. And so, you know, you can imagine that that's about a millimeter in length, maybe just a, just a tad over a millimeter in length. They are tiny, they are ex extremely tiny. Um, so, you know, and well, there it is. So, um, timing is really is everything on that. What you do is the, when you when you need to manage for them because if they're if they come in later on in the season you know and you see some you know in the in the you know you're you're beating around the vines and you just happen to be looking at some other pests and you know some thrips fall out well after bloom well they're not really causing any significant problems you know or, or at least that's what we're thinking right now uh, but to manage them and where they're going to be uh, affecting your yield timing is everything. And so what you want to do is um, a lot of times I'll take a piece of paper. Um, a lot of times it's graph paper because, you know, they, they, that's what I typically have in the truck. I'll place it under the, the, the grapevine itself, uh, up under the wire, up under the cordon. And, uh, and I'll take just a, the palm of my hand and I'll, and I'll bump, a, uh, bump the cordon or bump the wire three good times. You know, just bump, bump, bump. And then what I do, I'll pull the paper out and then when, when I pull the paper out, the, this is the image of, that you're going to see uh, on the right-hand side. You're going to just see a lot, of, a lot of debris. You're going to see some, you know, some the little uh, green star-looking things, and, and I'll, I'll describe what those are in just a moment. But you'll see some, some aborted fruit. You'll see some anthers. You'll see all this, this stuff, all this trash or, or you know, residue from, 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 these, um, from these grapes. But if you look really closely, and a lot of times I'll even take and blow real lightly across the paper and it'll actually, it'll blow most of the anthers off and a good portion of the fruit, but, and you, but without blowing the thrips away. But, uh, but you can actually see the little thrips, they're, they, you know, they're crawling around, they're, they're kind of bouncing around. And so, you know, as far as economic thresholds, we've not set up economic thresholds yet as far as, you know, I, I say if, if, you, if you're seeing one, Ever so often, you know, and I would I would test, you know, if you're looking at a just say a, a, a typical vineyard, say you know five to ten acre vineyard, I, I'm just say like, 
you know, and you're you're testing at 10 to 15 different spots across the vineyard. And you're and you've seen like one here, one there. Maybe you saw three on those 15 different uh, um, attempts, you know, looking at it across the vineyard. I really wouldn't worry about it. I mean, because the, the um, honestly, you know, they're probably not there in high enough um, populations yet. And it's really not worthwhile to go ahead, even on some cheap products like bifenthrin or Mustang Max or anything like any of your, your pesticides, it's probably you know, a little bit of a wasted application if you're putting it out. Uh, really wait till the, till the numbers really start getting very consistent across the vineyard. You know, basically if, if you're bumping the vine and you're seeing, you know, I would say really anything more than five on the paper at any given, um, any given you know, test site where you're looking at it. Um, you know, I would say spray. You know, if, if you go to the first place and you stick the paper up under there and you bump, bump, bump and look at it and you see all these little yellow uh, grains of rice, miniature grains of rice crawling around, then you know, I mean, you, you, you don't even have to go to the other ones. I mean, if you're seeing like, you know, 20 plus just on, the, on uh, a, a single testing site, then basically it's like, look, I need to go ahead and get done this sprayer filled up. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what my methods are as far as looking at them. And so basically that's just a picture of what it looks like on, on the paper. Um, you know, if you, if, if you're going from, you know, if, if your, your paper on the right hand side, if you can blow a lot of that trash off, a lot of times you'll, you'll be left with that. And, and, and you can actually see them much, much uh, better then. So, and at this particular time, uh, you're going to see the mentioned the little star-shaped green things. Those are actually calyptra. Those are like, well, a lot of times we kind of refer to them as shire caps. And uh, on, they, they cover the, the reproductive parts of, uh, of, of, of the grape. And uh, whenever they come off, when, a lot of times what it'll do, they'll dry up and they'll actually spring off. And in it, um, if it's a perfect flowered um, grape, it'll pollinate itself during that, 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 that spring action. If it's, uh, if it's a female grape, then basically with the calypra off, then it's, uh, it's open for uh, pollen from, you know, from, uh, from another source. So at this time, when you've got the paper up underneath and you're, and you're bumping the vine and you're looking at it, look to see if you're getting good calypra release. You should, you know, the, the paper really should get, be pretty full if you've got, you know, quite a few blooms out there. Uh, you know, so, so if you're, if you're not seeing this, it could be because of rain. It could be because of cool weather. Uh, it could be that, um, you know, that the, that the flowers just aren't opening yet. Uh, it could be a number of things, but, but this is something definitely good to look at, um, while you're, while you're looking at, looking for thrips. Also at this, at the time, at this particular time, if you, you know, if you can get like a magnifying lens and actually look at the, at the base of those, those blooms. And just see if you're seeing any of these, you know, any aphid activity um, around the uh, the base of those blooms. And uh, if you are, then you know, even if you if you're not seeing thrips, but you're seeing aphids, it's still it's a good idea to go ahead and go ahead and, and spray because aphids will um, they'll they'll dam they'll do so much damage to the base of the flower that uh, if any fruit does uh, try to develop it, it uh, it aborts it off, it kicks it off. 
So uh, last but not least is uh, grapefruit borer. And this is uh, Vitacea uh, polystiformis. And the reason I even mentioned, you know, say the, the scientific name, uh, polystiformis is, is named um, after the polistes, uh, which is polistes are actually paper wasp. And if you look at them, that's the genus for the, the paper wasp. So if you look at them, they look a lot like paper wasp, and but they're not. They're they're actually they're these are clear wing moths. Uh, if you actually open up their wings, they're they're clear. You can see through them, and then they they've got kind of uh, like this reddish kind of windows uh, all throughout their wings. But a really cool creature. They they look like a really large uh, paper wasp flying around. They buzz almost like a bumblebee. So they're very noticeable in the vineyard. And a lot of times they'll land on you. So, you know, it's, it's not anything to be alarmed about. They can't sting you. Um, you know, anything like that can't bite you. Or don't bite you. I don't know if they can't, but I've never been bit by one. But here's some of the damage. Is, uh, you can see that this uh, 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 grapefruit on the right with just, just tremendous damage. Uh, you know, you see the galleries up and down, um, you know, where... Um, you know, where the bark should be uh, and, and it just tremendous damage to the roots. Uh, here's the, the larva that's in the, in the center. So it's, uh, it's, it's actually, it's a, it's a fairly large uh, larva. And uh, the pupa is uh, to, the, to the far right. A lot of times, if you look right about the, the time that they're emerging and that's right about July and August, uh, you can actually find these little uh, reddish color, brownish color pupa uh, the sort of the skins, the shells of them, uh, just all over the ground. And, uh, you know, some people actually do uh, look for these for, um, you know, instead of uh, trapping, but it, it is a little a bit more difficult. So the easiest way to tell when they come out, how long they come out for, um, the duration, uh, you know, the duration, the, the, the amount that they come out, you know, how, how heavy are they, uh, you know, as far as number-wise, is basically to do trapping. The, the, the bucket traps are fantastic for this. I mean, this is the perfect trap for it. And these are, these plastic bucket traps uh, actually have like a little um, well that's in the top of it where it's like almost like a little cage. You can take it out and drop these pheromone caps, uh, which you'll see on the lower right. And that's just a, it's a little rubber uh, impregnated pheromone uh, cap that you can drop in that little cage, snap it back in place. And trust me, if there is a, if, is, if there is a, a clear wing moth within, you know, I think 100 miles, I think he'll find it right quick time he smells it. And uh, it, it is very, very attracting to him. But the thing of it is, is that you're getting, the pheromone gets them to, and, uh, but, you know, getting them to the bucket is only half the problem. You need to get them inside the bucket and actually kill them. And so the, the little red tab, this, this upper right, is uh, th these are little vapor tabs. And, and basically, it's like a little kill strip that you place in the bottom of the bucket. And so whenever the moths go inside, you know, the bucket, basically, and, and what they're doing is, uh, is, is they, they think that there's a female uh, in, the, in the bucket. And so they're attracted to it. And so they go inside the bucket and once they, they, they realize that they can't quite, it's not very easy for them to get out. And, but the, the little kill strips, little vapor tabs, uh, you know, humanely kills. And, uh, and so basically you can, you, can, you can do counts with them and, and just see you know, when they're coming out and everything else.
So, and here's just, here's sort of what I just explained is, uh, you know, the little cage on the lower right, that's where you put the pheromone cap and it snaps in the top of the trap. There's a little vapor tab, um, vapor tape that's, um, that's where you drop it down in the bucket. Just, it's very small. Um, if, if you see some of my older pictures, they actually have the, the like a, a larger um, vapor tape. It's, it's, um, but this year, you know, I've gone over to using smaller, the, the smaller tabs of them, but uh, extremely effective on, on catching them. But here is, this is not from this year. This is actually from last year. And you see, I got the larger, the larger vapor tape in there. And there's probably, uh, if I remember correctly, it was 153 uh, in, in that capture. And that was from one week. Uh, you know, it, as far as ideal time to place the, the traps, uh, it is it is getting a little on the on the uh, on the late side to to put them out, but it's uh I, I'm not dis discouraging anybody to put them out. It's just ideally you want to do really from about late June, July, and that would be more like in the PD area or the coastal area. Now, if you're more into upstate, um, you know Midlands back up towards upstate, you know honestly, late July is 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 a good time to put the, those out uh, as far as the, the traps. And really, just just leave them out uh, right on through uh, through September. Be sure to check them weekly. And uh, and what you do, or what I normally do, I'll go in, uh, I'll open them up, and I'll count them actually individually. And I'll write it down on a little notepad, and I'll dump everything out, and everything but the tab, you know, the little vapor tape, uh, vapor tape, uh, you know, make sure that it stays in there. And uh, but then I close the trap back up, hang it back up, and and let it, let it do its work for another week. And uh, so I, I, I check these every single week. And, you know, I'll, I'll pick the same day, you know, every week, say like a Friday. A lot of times I check, I check traps on Fridays. And so, but I'll jot everything down and I, and I do that right on through September. And then I look at when their peak emergence is, when they first emerge, but also their peak emergence and how long that they, that they continue to emerge. And uh, last year they were actually a little early but they finished up a little early this year. They're actually, you know, I would say just a little bit late. We're just starting to, to just, just starting to catch a few. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, they, they've, um, you know, like the crop, they, they're, they're a bit late uh, this year as well. And so, but uh, one per varietal block. So, you know, if you've got some fresh market varieties and just say like, if you've got Fry and Supreme and Terra and, you know, Granny Val, maybe just hang like a trap in each one. Uh, but, you know, if you've got like a whole, you know, 20, 20 acre vineyard of Carlos, um, just put four, four traps and, and just, you know, play, place them randomly uh, throughout the vineyard. But this is not considered a control method, but it's just a means of just determining when they, they first emerge, their peak uh, emergence, how long they emerge, uh, you know, their duration, the intensity, just, it, it really just looks at, at uh, their activity when they emerge and when they're flying around. So there are four control methods. Now, uh, if you're looking at um, this, and we're going to say, we're going to go ahead and cover conventional management first. Uh, I'm going to say the most common uh, means of, of control is lowers band. Now, a lot of people, you know, if they're familiar with Lower's Band, Lower's Band is a uh, is pretty tough chemical. It's, uh, it's, it's rather deadly. It is a restricted use, uh, pest, uh, restricted use insecticide pesticide. 
Uh, so you do have to have a uh, license uh, to, to purchase it. Um, be very careful with this. It's, um, it, 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 can, it can put you in a hospital, unfortunately. I mean, and, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's not anything to be a scared of, but, but definitely be cautious of. Um, but there are different formulations. Uh, the, the one I've got pictured is just Boris Band 4E. Um, you know, it's probably, I'd say, one of the more common ones. There's, you know, like I said, different formulations. Um, so just look to see, you know, if, you're, if you are going to put this out. Now, there is, as far as the pre-harvest interval, in other words, the date that you apply it to the, to, the, uh, to the vineyard has to be 35 days prior to harvest. Now, and I know a lot of y'all are probably sitting there thinking, it's like, well, I, do, I grow fresh grapes, you know, fresh market grapes, and you know, I've got some early stuff, you know, like an early, early fry or a terra or something like that. It's like, you know, that, that's really, you know, that, that's, that's kind of a hard thing to really, to really line up. You know, honestly, those, those uh, the grapefruit boards might not be affecting you that much. You know, I mean, that, that, that you might can actually do, um, there, there's, there's, there's other means. I, I'm, I'm gonna say it like that. But if you're growing like some later, you know, fresh market varieties, like a, like a granny bowl or something like that, well, then there's no problem at all. Now, even on like the, the, the wine grapes, like Carlos, uh, Noble, uh, Doreen, Doreen is no problem at all. Normally, you know, time they start emerging, um, the, 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 as far as the moths start emerging, is, uh, you know, if you're, you're it's typically, second, third, fourth week of July. Uh, so if you're doing an application somewhere around there, you know, over uh, into, into August, um, you know, you're, even with, with Doreen, it's not gonna be a problem at all because Doreen, even down here in the coastal area, um, in, the, in the coastal, you know, PD, lower, low country, what have you, um, Doreen harvest would not be until, you know, really, mid-September, even late set, uh, September. So it's, it's well after Labor Day. So, you know, 30, 35 days prior to that, you know, it really can be, um, you know, third or second, third week of, uh, or first, second week of, uh, of August. So, but if you're talking about Carlos, Carlos down here harvest uh, right around Labor Day. So you're talking application would be like now. Uh, now and, and with the, and luckily, with this this crop being a little later, uh, it's actually is going to be it's going to help you. But application literally needs to be like in the next few days if you're if you're looking at this type of management. Um, if you know, and honestly, if you don't have the the traps out, if you're just walking through, if you see you know um, a lot of this activity, it looks like paper uh, paper wasps flying around and they're kind of buzzing. Uh, you know, it might not exactly have time to go ahead and get the traps. Might just plan on the traps for next year, but just go ahead and do like a lower span application. It is very uh, cheap, very effective. Um, and and it is only a ground application. It is not, you don't put it on the foliage. You don't put it on trunks. It is strictly a ground application, ground broad, uh, broadcast application or ground spray application. Is uh, that, that definitely don't get it on the, on the, on the, the trunk nor the foliage. And, uh, and, and which, you know, that, and what you're doing, you're trying to, you're trying to kill the pest as it's emerging, you know, through the, you want to have this protective layer in the soil and that they have to travel through um, to emerge. And so it kills them as they're trying to emerge. Um, okay, so the, and that is conventional, definitely conventional. 
Now, the isomate uh, um, GRB is, uh, these are, I, I typically refer to them as bread ties. They're, they're like a little, uh, like a little twist tie that, that you put all throughout the vineyard. Uh, it's a little bit expensive. It's very, very effective. It's, these ties are impregnated with the female pheromone. So basically it, it lures all of the, 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 the male uh, moths to the ties. And so, and, and, you know, and, and basically it, will, it does that, but also at the same time, it kind of floods the vineyard with pheromone and that they really, they, they just can't find the females. Um, very effective. And it is, if you're, if you're not wanting to use Lord's band or either you're doing like some grapes, you know, some fresh market grapes that are kind of harvesting within that window that, and you, and you really, you can't apply Lord's band. This is an excellent means of, you know, working around of, of, of actually controlling the pest. And it's, uh, it's chemical free. Um, yeah, other than the, than the little uh, isomate uh, red ties, you know, which are, they're uh, very safe to handle. And, uh, but like I said, they, they can be a little, little bit pricey and a little hard to find too. Okay, so a couple of uh, organic methods is soil mounding. And then the, uh, the hetero, uh, uh, heterorhabditus um, nematode application. Now, there's a couple of problems with the, both of these. The soil mounting, you really can't tell it by the picture, but the, the, you actually have to apply a lot of soil. I'm talking about, you know, like 10 inches of soil to the top of the ground. So you have to, it's a labor issue more so than a cost. And so you have to apply it. And then, you know, over towards, uh, you know, whenever you get into the fall, um, over into the early winter, then you have to go back in and dig it all back out. Because if you leave it there, you're gonna smother out the vines. Don't want to do that. So, but you do have to put this 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 a substantial amount of soil uh, right around the base of the uh, the grapevines or around around the trunks. Um, that is the soil mounting technique. It it's very effective, um, but it is very time consuming, very labor intensive. The heterorhabditus um, uh, nematodes, I would say when they work, they work really good. They're as effective as the lower fan application or the isomate uh, GRB um, you know, application with the, with the little bread ties. When it doesn't work, it, and it, does, it just it's not effective. Um, they are a little bit pricey, um, but the thing of it is, it's very dependent upon soil moisture and environment and just everything in the world. You know, I mean, anything can, can interfere with 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 that and what it is it's actually it's a nematode that you that you put out you know um that you can actually apply uh with a with uh like a sprayer with 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 flood nozzles and that you actually apply it up under the uh, up under the vines um but it's it's questionable uh if you don't have any means of of controlling the moisture in the soil so that wraps up my presentation went a little bit long i do apologize for that um, does anyone have any questions? Uh, so do not uh, grow a lot of muscadines, but we are hosting a muscadine festival. Okay, cool. Um, uh, it is put on by the community rural arts uh, work league. It's not, uh, if it's not super inappropriate. Oh, that, that, that's, that's cool. Okay, we uh, you know, mentioned that. 
www.allthingsmuscadine.com. We can we can definitely mention that. And let's see, uh, from uh, from John Coffey, uh, let's see, great presentation about soil mounding. When would you suggest mounting for the low country? Okay, uh, I, I, I apologize for not mentioning as far as the timing. The timing really is, um, you want to get it out, the soil mounting just before their emergence. So really right now, you know, for the, for the low country, I'm gonna say the ideal time would be, really ideal time would be June. But now, you know, everybody that I've talked to, it sounds like the crop is late across the state, you know, just a little late. So this year, it might not, it, it, it's not gonna hurt you to go in and do some soil mounding now. And because, I mean, these things emerge uh, all throughout the season. I mean, they, they typically what we've seen in the PD um, is that they start emerging typically uh, right around about first, second week of July. This, this year is a little later, but it's uh, first, second week of July and they will, they'll actually keep right on uh, emerging right on into well into, into August, really towards the, towards the end of August. So even if, you know, if they, if you're starting to get some emergence now, you're still going to get a lot of benefit by coming in and doing the, the soil mounding. What it's going to do, it's going to, it causes those, uh, because they're, they're coming out, they're not actually coming out as adults. It's actually those little hard skin pupa that are wiggling their way through the soil. And what the thought is, is that with an extra 10 inches of soil, that is, it makes it very, very difficult um, that sort of the, the insect only has a certain amount of, of, of sort of energy that, that they can actually, you know, get to the, up, up to the surface of the soil and then emerge. And so basically, if you're throwing another 10 inches of soil on it, it's just too much soil for it, uh, for the insect, for the pupa to have to have to wiggle its way through. And so, and it just wears it out and, and basically just the, the insect dies of exhaustion. Um, that, you know, that, that it, um, it just, it can't make, make the whole trip all the way up to the, to the top. So, um, but really, you know, if you put it out now, you're still gonna get a lot of benefit because, you know, the emergence is gonna be well on into August, even for, you know, down around the low country. So, but ideally I would shoot for, you know, honestly, I think really if, even if you wanted to come in the second week of June, third week of June and go ahead and put it out. So if it is one of those years, it is a little early year, you know, a little bit early for their emergence, a little bit early for the crop that, uh, that maybe you can, uh, I mean, you, you should still be able to get ahead of them by say a week or so. And uh, the, um, you know, if it's a very large uh, vineyard, you know, you might want to back it up just a little bit little bit more just because of you know just the time it takes to, to actually put it out but uh yeah just just leave it there until um late fall early winter so so yeah a lot of what um uh, what i've seen is over over towards november december um you can leave it uh there until then but then but be sure to, to come in and, and remove all of that soil just to prevent you know from so you're not smothering the, the those those uh especially those surface roots out. Okay, that, that uh, as far as the, the Muscadine Festival, September 25th, uh, 2021, 10 to four. Uh, let's see, do you have a vendor for the traps and the pheromones? Yes, uh, the, um, 
Great Lakes IPM, and and you can you can just pull them up uh, online. It's uh, Great Lakes IPM, and uh, I think it's GreatLakesIPM.com. I believe is what it is. It's um, but uh, they have everything that you need. It, you can go up to the little little search engine. This this you know once you pull up the website, um, you can actually just pull up you know the the their little search engine you know, within the site and and just type in um grapes or muscadines or um and or you can do like one of the, the pull down tabs and it's got like traps uh traps and lures i think is what it's called and you can click on that and it's it's there's two different types of buckets either one of them works just fine i use the the, the solid green buckets just so they really don't stand out in the canopy but they do have a like a yellow and bright green um trap or you know these these trap buckets either one works just fine uh, you know there's there's no problem using either one of those but you can also you can order the 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 lures from them the pheromone lures and also those little uh the vapor tape little kill taps um you know so uh, I, I believe let's see um i thought i had a trap right close by the uh those traps i believe are somewhere in the neighborhood of about $9 a piece. So they're very economical. Uh, the lures are very cheap, the, the little pheromone lures. And then the, the little vapor, the vapor tape, um, I think you can buy them, uh, see, normally I buy them uh, about 100 to a pack, but you know, if you don't need that many, an average person wouldn't. Uh, I think they sell them like, um, you know, uh, I'm not sure if it's a 10 pack or if it's a 20 pack. But anyway, it's this much much cheaper, and but uh, the, the the whole kit is 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 very very reasonable uh, as far as cost. You're you're welcome on the, you know, for the for the vendor tip. Uh, let's see. Um, anybody else have any any other questions? I know run a little bit long. I uh, I like I said I apologize, but uh, um, I hope everybody uh, you know. Got something out of the out of the, the presentation. Got a lot of good you know, valuable information. If there's any way that uh, that that we can help you with from from Clemson Extension, please call on us. That's uh, that's what we're here for. Uh, if you have any any other questions, please uh, please contact me or or one of the other agents. All right, y'all take care. <laughs>